As we've been working through this book of Galatians this fall, there's just been one note that's been played over and over again, that we are forgiven of our sins by faith alone. And, and I'm grateful for a book that just hits the same note over and over again. So if it's sounded repetitive, it has been repetitive. Beginning in chapter 5, we begin to come down and we start entering into the application of this doctrine. And so today we're going to read the first 12 verses of Galatians 5. And we're going to find out how we are to apply living by faith alone, okay? So follow along with me as I read these 12 verses. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case of the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Our Father, as we once again dig into some of these heavy words, I think there is a goal that these verses present to us. Freedom. A freedom from trying to gain approval with you by obeying the law. And I pray that today that we would experience the liberation because we have been set free through the gospel and help our lives to reflect this freedom. Use these truths to light the path for us and then please use your spirit to propel us to walk down that path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So here is the question before us. How is it that we live in the freedom that God has given to us by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? How is it that we can step into this liberty that he has given to us? So I think a very straightforward approach to our text today I'm going to give you five answers, because that's what I think we see in these first 12 verses. The first way that we can step into this freedom is, number one, 
is to know that the yoke of the law has been lifted. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now the slavery he is talking about here is a slavery of us attempting to keep the law, the Old Testament, in order to gain forgiveness from God. The whole point of the book of Galatians is that we are made right with God by faith alone in what Jesus has done for us. So he gives us a metaphor. It's the metaphor of a yoke, not a yoke of an egg, but a yoke that is placed on an ox. I read this week that an ox could pull between 1,500 and 3,000 pounds. Imagine an ox with a yoke on it, pulling a very heavy wagon from one end of a field to the other, doing that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to the point of sheer exhaustion. And then the farmer saying to that ox, you are now free. I am taking this yoke off you, and you will never have it on you again. Now, if an ox could speak, can you imagine the relief and joy that that ox would express? This is the metaphor that's applied for us. Loved one, you cannot earn God's favor by your works. Those works have been kind of like a yoke upon you. And when you have trusted in the grace that God has provided, that yoke of the law has been lifted from you. So if you want to walk in that freedom, you have to understand that the yoke of the law has been lifted. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In other words, come to me, all of you who have been attempting to gain favor for forgiveness by this heavy yoke of the law. I'll take that yoke off you. He says in verse 29 of Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, no one can bear the weight of the law and makes us weary and heavy laden. Jesus takes that unbearable weight off us and places on his own yoke of knowing him through a loving relationship. You want to experience the freedom, understand that that yoke of the law is no longer on you. Let me tell you a couple fictitious stories. Kenny was a boy that grew up in a home with a father he could never please. He did his chores, performed in school, getting straight A's. He went to state in wrestling and even secured a college scholarship. Everything Kenny did was an attempt to please his dad. While in college, Kenny was invited to a college ministry. He heard the gospel and was saved by grace through faith. 
In brokenness, he called out to Jesus to be saved. And for the first time in his life, he felt free. Weeks later, Kenny slipped into his old way of thinking and living. His entire life, he was attempting to make his dad proud. And now he was trying the same approach with his heavenly dad. He was defeated, discouraged, and feeling like a failure. Despite his discipline, he was unable to keep Jesus' commands. The young man who was discipling Kenny told him, You are not able to be saved by keeping the law, and you cannot keep being saved by keeping the law. You were saved by grace through faith. Now you must live by grace through faith. Kenny exchanged his dependence on his own ability to keep the law with a dependence on his relationship with Christ. Humility and joy returned to his life. The first way that we can live out in this freedom is to understand that the law has been lifted from us. The second way is to know that the law and grace cannot mix. Look at what it says here in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, in other words, Do you know who I am, who's writing this letter? I'm the one that founded these churches in Galatia. I'm expressing this to you. I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now here Paul is zeroing in on this act of circumcision. Now as he is talking about circumcision... He is now referring to the medical procedure, per se. The circumcision had its place in the Old Testament. God instituted it through Abraham. It symbolized how God's people were to be cut off from the whole world. It had another symbol in that if God's people would not follow him in obedience, they would be cut off from the blessings of God. Paul himself, the one who was writing this, was circumcised. Many of the people who were reading this were probably circumcised. I'm guessing many of the men in this room have been circumcised. The point was not the medical procedure. The point that he was speaking out against was the theological symbol. That there were people within the churches of Galatia, that were depending on being circumcised in order to gain God's approval and forgiveness. This is what he is speaking out against. And for verses 2, 3, and 4, here's the point. Either you are saved by grace alone, or you are saved by the law alone. And you better keep all the law, baby, because that's what it requires. You can't sprinkle in some grace with the law. If a man was driving down here on Lombardi Avenue, and as he comes by Lombardi and military, he intentionally runs the red light, and there is a Green Bay police officer awaiting, pulling him over across her metro market. And as the officer comes up behind him and he says, Do you know why I pulled you over? He said, Well, yes, I understand. I, I did run that red light. But I need to also let you know, officer, that I've never stole from anybody, I've never killed anybody, and I have never once cheated on my taxes. 
What do you think that officer is going to do? He's going to smile. He'll go back to his car, write out a citation, and, and deliver it to the offender. You see, if you have broken one of God's laws, it's as if you have broken all of the laws. Today, we don't necessarily struggle with circumcision, but perhaps we do with baptism. This idea that I will be baptized in order to have forgiveness of sins. Listen to what it says there in verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to go down that path of obeying one law, it's necessary for you to obey all the laws. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now as Paul speaking here against someone who has at one time received the grace and now they've fallen away from it? No. He's referring to someone who has tried to sprinkle in some grace with their works. Listen, we are either saved all by grace or we are saved all by the law and there is no one who can keep the law. Harriet was simply living her life When troubles rocked her world, she determined that she would turn to religion. Her life was not a complete wreck. Most of the time, she did what was right. And when she compared herself to her co-workers, her morality was certainly in the upper half. Here it began to attend church. She felt better about herself. The minister talked about obedience and getting baptized. She concluded that getting baptized was the missing ingredient in her life. So she scheduled an appointment to meet with the minister. A few Sundays later, she was baptized. And she thought to herself, now I am right with God. God did his part in sending Jesus. And I did my part in getting baptized. The whole point is you can't do that. It's either God has done everything and all you're doing is receiving the gift because you can't contribute at all to that. The late Tim Keller said it this way, no matter that you insist that you've been converted or you say you feel Christ has changed your life, if by deciding your salvation rests in any way, or on your performance, you deny salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. You can't be saved by him. It's either he does it all or he doesn't do anything for you. Now, it's possible for a reader at this point, or one who is here today, if you're connecting these dots, you're saying to yourself, man, it seems like the law has been lifted. It seems like the law can't contribute anything to one's salvation. It seems like a person is absolutely free from this. Well, I'm a little bit concerned by Paul's argument here because it seems like what he is articulating is a freedom to do whatever this person wants. Well, would you read with me to the next verse? Because here's the third different way that a person is to live out in their freedom. Life in the law is replaced by life in the Spirit. Look what it says here 
In Galatians 5, verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We are no longer dependent on ourselves, but now we are dependent on the Spirit of God to help us to live. And how do we do that? Look at what it says here again in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith. By faith, we, we trusted Christ to save us from our sins. By faith, we trust that our lives can be lived out through His Spirit. On a moment-by-moment basis, we ask his, Him to help us, to empower us to live for Jesus. Look at what it says there. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the day in which either we will die or we are waiting for the day in which Jesus will return. And it's at that moment we will experience complete righteousness. No more frustrations over the days that we lapse. No more, no more frustrations over the the insecurity of our lives. When he returns, when we see Jesus face to face, we will have complete righteousness. This is assured. Francis grew up in a strict fundamental home. There was no TV, no movies, no public school, no loud music, no involvement in the world. In Francis' family, the longer... Of the longer the list of things to avoid, the more mature he was as a Christian. He looked down at others for not being as spiritual as he was. Upon graduating, he moved out of town. No longer under the same roof as his parents. He decided to experiment a bit. His co-workers invited him to, out for a drink one night, and he thought, well, what could that hurt? But one drink led to another. His language began to change, and in time, the flood of the world just began to overwhelm his life. And then a watershed moment occurred about 18 months later, when he was pulled over for drinking and driving. He spent the night in the city jail, and there he found a Gideon New Testament. And in God's providence, his eyes looked on Ephesians 5, verse 18, that says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Francis had known the gospel, but he had really never known the life of the Spirit. He had lived a life of works, things that he could do. But now he thought to himself, I I need God's help every moment of my life to obey. So late that night in the jail cell, he repented of his sins, asked Jesus to save him and committed to living his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The fourth way that we see here in this passage that we are to live a life of freedom is that life in the Spirit results in loving others through faith. In verse 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
Getting circumcised or getting baptized is not going to draw you closer to Jesus. All that matters is faith. Transferring your trust into the relationship with Jesus. And what does faith result in? You see it there in verse 6. Love. When you hear this gospel message, there is something within us, I think, that we hear fear. If the gospel is being preached accurately to us, we understand who God is, that he is good, that he is holy, that he is just. We also understand who we are, that we are sinful. And as a result, we are going to fear God's judgment and his wrath. But we understand that God sent Jesus on our behalf, that he died for our sins, that if we would place our faith in him, turn from our sins, we could be a new person in Christ. It could be that fear drives us to entering into a relationship with Christ. I don't think fear ought to be that sustaining element, however, in our relationship. It's to be love. As we are spending time with him, as the Spirit is empowering, filling us to understand his word, and we are getting to know God more and more, we're beginning to appreciate and draw closer and closer to God and to His Son, Jesus. We find ourselves free from a drive to perform for God and stand amazed at His daily grace. We are no longer defeated by our imperfect performance. We are all wholly trusting in Jesus and His cross for forgiveness and renewal. There is a sweetness to our lives as our love for the Father deepens. This love spills over into our relationships with others. Trudy used to be sensitive. Her life was consumed by what she thought others thought of her. She was fragile, often reading into other people's words and looks. Her life was governed by feelings. In the course of the day, she could be soaring on the mountaintops in the morning. But by lunch, she could be in the deepest of valley. But one day, God broke through when he showed Trudy that his love was stable and unshakable. She could always depend on him. God had accepted Trudy by faith, not by her performance slowly, truly began to anchor her life in the gospel. And she became more stable and less emotional. She still has her moments, but those moments are not nearly as frequent as they used to be. By faith, Trudy has trusted in and applied God's love and grace to her life. And then finally, another mark of one that is experiencing the freedom that Christ provides, is the life of freedom has a discerning ear. A discerning ear. Let's look at what it says here in verse 7. Paul is saying to these Galatian Christians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? At one time, you were given this truth And you were running with it. And as you were running with it, someone got in your way and stopped you from running in that direction. Who was it? 
At one time, you had a life of faith, trusting in what Christ had done for you, not just to save you, but to live for him. Now people have taken you back to trying to obey the law. Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Well, who was it who called them? According to chapter 1, verse 6, I am not ashamed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. God had called them. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you allow this teaching of trying to gain God's approval from by keeping the law, just know that it's going to spread to your whole family and all to your church. This is dangerous. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And so we see a positive view of the future. This gospel has been presented to you, and I am confident that you will change your view back to by faith alone. And God will handle this. He will penalize these false teachers. Verse 11, there's an allegation that somehow Paul is preaching this works gospel. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In the case the offense of the cross has been removed. If I were preaching this works-based gospel, there'd be no one that would be persecuting me because this works-based gospel actually appeals to people's flesh and their pride. But when you preach the cross, it is offensive. Because what that is saying is that you cannot save yourself. And that is the message that will bring persecution. And then he says something that you can hardly believe is in the Scriptures. Verse 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now that is some drastic language. Is he saying here this, this, this phrase with irrational anger? Or is he saying this such a strong language because he is so passionate about the gospel? May we be as passionate about this true gospel as Paul was. Abigail is one who's been a Christian for over 50 years now. In her life, she's experienced the joys of marriage and raising children. She's also had the heartbreak of wayward children and the death of her husband. But the older she gets, the more precious the clear doctrines of the faith are to her. Each Sunday, she gathers for Bible study with her friends, and she cannot wait to hear near the end of the lesson when her teacher is going to talk about grace again and how Jesus loves us. It's not infrequent for Abigail to be moved to tears out of thankfulness for God's goodness. Abigail has learned over the years to surround herself with sound Bible teachers as she listens to the radio throughout the week. If she is to live a life through the Spirit of God, She wants to surround herself with the Word of God. 
And while she has never attended ceremony, a seminary, or a Bible school, her ears are trained to hear sound doctrine. And when she does it, she is able to detect it. She stays far away from false teachers and warns her family and friends to stay clear of them as well. Here's the freedom that's brought forth to us through the gospel. The law has been lifted. We do not need to to mix the law and grace. In fact, you cannot do that. As a result of this gospel that has been given to us, we no longer depend on the law. Now we depend on God's Spirit. And this Spirit will be shown to us as we have faith in Him that is produced in love for Him and love towards others. And as we are in the Word, as we are depending on the Spirit, He will give us a discerning eye and a discerning ear to identify the false teaching. Oh, family, don't you love to hear this gospel again and again and again? May we never be too desensitized to it, but may it always move us. And may we not only hear it on Sundays, but may we be preaching it to ourselves throughout the week as well, reminding us there's this freedom that is there for us. Now, by the grace of God, may we walk in it. Would you pray with me now as the music team comes? Father, as we have once again glanced at these words, and we have seen what you hold out for your children, We are not just sons and daughters. We have learned through the book of Galatians that we are heirs. Help us not to be immature. Help us by faith to rely on a relationship with Jesus. Help us to warmly embrace the yoke that he has provided for us. And may we enjoy our relationship with Jesus. And when we slip back in, to thinking we can perform for you by keeping your law. Oh, bring us back to Calvary. Bring us back again to our need for your grace. And may we see maturity more and more where that is our default of depending on grace, not our performance. May we not take advantage of this grace. But as your spirit is filling us, may he lead us to a deep love for you and a deep love for others. And may we not just share this good news with ourselves, but may we be burdened to share it with others, people that were eager to hear it, and they too would understand the freedom that is available to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's put this sermon into practice now. And let's just be reminded of the love of God. Would you stand with me? And think of this eternal love that he has.